Good afternoon. Thank you uh, so much for the invitation to be with you in this time and space. It's really an honor to participate um, and spend time with you during your season of Lent. And it is a delight to see so many friends um, among you. Some of those friends, I think, are here because they are in that great central part of the Venn diagram that is the overlap between this congregation and Rhodes College. And some of you, I think, might be gate crashers who are just here um, to give me some moral support. So I, I welcome all of you. Um, a, a few months ago, uh, Reverend Walters called me and uh, invited me to speak as part of this annual series. And then he explained that you look for present presentations connected to the Bible that come from the heart of the speaker. My first question was, you, you do know I'm Jewish, right? <laughs> and he was quick to assure me that voices from other traditions are welcome here. He advised me to talk with you about something of deep concern to me and to ground that discussion in Hebrew scripture. And I am, uh, like to be an A student, so I have followed that assignment. I knew uh, very quickly that I would take uh, the biblical account of creation and its lessons for our own creativity as my theme. My work as a leader is a constant call for creative problem solving and creative vision making, for change and growth. As a writer and a philosopher, I've long embraced and wrestled with the muse. And my career has been devoted to the liberal arts and its creative potential for transformation. My greatest joy in my work comes from seeing the creativity of our students and our faculty. But sadly, creativity seems to me to be on a cultural downswing. The constant pressure for speed, our addiction to our iPhones, and the political polarization of thought, all those things conspire to flatten our creative minds. When solutions have to come at the speed of email and fit in between Instagramming our outfit and our breakfast, and when they have to fit neatly into a predetermined political platform, then creativity is almost impossible. Everywhere we see its breakdown. Even though a recent study has shown that the arts contribute more to the GDP, to our GDP, than does agriculture, we continue to devalue those who study and work in the arts. Even though complex problems require complex solutions, we reduce everything from immigration to Brexit to a soundbite or a slogan. And even though our best thinking comes when we can confront evidence and counterarguments, we're increasingly interacting only with those who already think and live just as we do. Freeing up creative energy is essential for human progress. Reclaiming the conditions for creative thought feels crucial to me as an educator and as a citizen. Today, I wanna to talk with you about creativity from the perspective of the Torah. In particular, the very first chapters that describe the seven days of creation 
and then the making of Adam and Eve. Perhaps you've heard of those passages. Before I turn to the text, let me say something about my methods. Uh, in my tradition, we call this kind of talk a Devar Torah, words of Torah. It's an interpretation of the Torah that draws on rabbinic and philosophical sources for illumination and insight into how we should live. Jews have been reading and trying to understand the Torah for a very long time. Our rabbis teach us that there are four different ways, four different methods. If you want to be fancy, you could call them four different hermeneutics um, that, uh, that uh, help us understand how to read Holy Scripture. So the first way is to look at the plain meaning of the text. Just read the plain meaning of the words. But this is harder than it sounds because the Torah is written in Hebrew. And Hebrew is a language where each word can have multiple meanings. There's no fixed meaning for any word in the Hebrew language. So reading even and deciphering even the plain meaning is already an act of interpretation for Jews. A second method is to look for hints that point to um, lessons or allegories, things that, uh, me meanings, uh, where we could, we could learn something about how we should live. A third way is to compare one part of the Bible to another. And the fourth way is to look for secret mystical information encoded in the text. And that last one is well beyond my abilities. The rabbis say only one in four comes back from that mystical journey, and I'm not, I'm not going to risk that today. Um, so we're going to stick with the first three. Uh, and um, I'm going to help us think about what we can learn about creativity from what we see in the Torah, in the beginning of the Torah, about creation. So let's begin at the beginning. In the synagogue, we would open the ark, special cabinet. We would take out the Torah scroll. We'd bless it. We'd dance around with it. And then we'd lay it out on a table. And we'd unroll just to the very beginning, and we would chant. Reader would get up and read the text from the scroll and would chant, Breshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. In the beginning of God's creating of the heaven and earth. There's not really a replacement for the simple power, music, and rhythm of the Hebrew text as we read it in our synagogue. Translations are always a compromise of one sort or another. So I'm gonna read these opening words, these opening sentences to you with the help of Everett Fox's translation. And I really like his translation because he's explicitly trying to capture a kind of close reading of the Hebrew language and the feel of that text. So here are a few sentences from the very beginning of Breshit, of the book of Genesis. At the beginning of God's creating of the heaven and the earth, when the earth, when the world was wild and waste, tohu vavohu, in Hebrew, wild and waste, darkness over the face of the ocean, rushing spirit of God hovering over the face of the water. God said, 
yehi or let, let light come, let light be. And yehi or, there was light. God saw the light. It was tov, good. God separated, Havdel, God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light yom, day. And the darkness he called lila, night. V'yehi erev, and there was setting. V'yehi boker, and there was dawning. Yom Echad, one day. Now this is a pretty spectacular creative act. If you were in Las Vegas and they did that up on stage, you would be pretty wowed. From <laughs> chaos and darkness, God makes something radically new. Takes an act of sustained concentration. Something has to be said and done and looked at and evaluated and separated and named. How does this happen? How does God do it? It's a great mystery, maybe the great mystery. In fact, our greatest Torah commentator, the 11th century French winemaker and rabbi known as Rashi, says that the first phrase at the beginning of God's creating says absolutely nothing except expound me, interpret me. The whole thing is startling. So what is this wild and waste, this tohu vavohu? And how does an ocean and water exist before the beginning of the heaven and earth? And what is this light? The sun isn't created until day four. So it's not sunlight. From our perspective, living in a world full of light, it's easy to miss how radical and how difficult the act of creation actually is. We focus instead often on the magical quality. God just says something and it happens like a genie. Wouldn't that be nice? If I was God, I would just conjure up a fancier car, a big pile of money, we think. But this misses what I see as the entire point. What is amazing about those sentences is not that saying let there be light brings light into existence. What's amazing is that God can say let there be light in the first place. Think about the creative intensity required to conjure up something so completely new. You stand amidst the wild and waste in darkness and imagine something different, something not darkness, something warm, maybe glowing. Of course, glow doesn't exist yet either. And then, pow, inspiration, a new idea. You think that new thought. It's an idea of, let's call it light. You utter that new word. And now you, you, when you do it, have indeed made something from nothing. Just through the power of your imagination, the power of speaking, the power of discerning what is good. We're not God. But we mirror God's creative abundance every time we peer beyond what is and suddenly grasp what could be. We hamper our ability to do this when we substitute thought, eternal perception, 
when we rely on old patterns instead of taking the risk of a fresh perspective. Um, Robert Persig, in his inspirational book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is about motorcycle maintenance and many, many other things, uh, he tells a story of a student of his who had trouble writing the paper she'd been assigned. She was supposed to write about the city she lived in, but she couldn't think of anything to say. Instead of her telling her to broaden her topic, he told her to narrow it still more. Narrow it down to write just about one street. And when that didn't work, narrow it again to one building, and then finally to a single brick. When she lit on that brick, to just write about that brick, the words poured out of her. She wrote and wrote and wrote. Persick says her writing was blocked initially because her head was filled with other people's words and ideas. She had a bunch of preformed ideas about what she was supposed to say in an essay about the city. It wasn't until she got to that single brick, something she'd never heard or thought anything about, that her own creative thinking could be unleashed. Thinking fresh thoughts is risky. New ideas can be uncomfortable. They can up our own lives, the comfortable consistency of others. It's a lot easier to stand in the darkness than it is to think up light. We need courage to create. The light makes, God makes with the words of creation is good, and it's goodness, and in its goodness, it's perfectly complete. That sense of completion comes through better in Hebrew um, than in some translations. Uh, the words in Hebrew are that um, that first day is, uh, is Yom Achad, which really means one day or day of oneness. It, do it doesn't say first day. That would be a different Hebrew word, Yom Rishon. Um, and the other days of creation are described in that ordinal way as second day, third day, fourth day, etc. But the first day is not described as the first day. It's described as the one day, the cardinal day. There's no indication in the plain meaning of the words that a second day might come or a series. Light might have been the entirety of God's creation, and it would still have been good, Tov. But as we know, Lucky for us, subsequent days bring additional creative activity, new ideas, concepts, and then the speaking of them into being. Each new creation is good, and the creation of human beings is even very good, tov ma'od, until finally there is rest, Shabbat. Creation is good work, but it's hard and requires replenishment. These opening passages to the Torah give us insights into creativity, the mystery with which it begins, the suddenness of insight, the hard work of invention, the way one creative act leads to another, and the delight we find in what we make. And most of us are fortunate to have had at least once this kind of amazing creative experience. We are in the zone, our minds are firing, the ideas come in a rush. But that's not the whole of creativity. It's not the whole story. We also know a more difficult side, 
We know creation that plods along, that requires trial and error, that meets resistance. In short, a creative process that is much more like the second biblical account of creation, the one in Genesis 2, the making of Adam and Eve. That story starts with the creation of a man made not of words, but of dust. Unlike the account in Genesis 1, where people and animals are made all at once on the sixth day, male and female, he created them. Here, in Genesis 2, it's just a lone man. And here, creation is not perfect, not seamless. For the first time, something is low-tove, not good, that man is alone. God has to use trial and error to rectify this problem. He creates some animals, but that doesn't really work. And finally, God creates Eve, Hava, Adam's partner. But not his, as it's sometimes translated, helpmate. She says, she's said to be his Ezer Konegdo, which really means helper against. She's there to help. She's also her own person. She's a limit and a barrier and something he sometimes finds uh, he is, um, is pushing back on him. Is Ezra Konegdo. And from this beginning, there are problems. These newly created beings are just nothing but trouble. They go beyond what was intended. They have free will. They make very, very poor decisions. Uh, and God has to keep making new stuff to keep them in line. In this version of the story, he chats with heavenly beings who, at least in the imagination of our rabbis, critique this work as it unfolds. I don't think so. We definitely recognize this kind of creative project. We've all been there. It proceeds in fits and starts. While we're at it, we aren't sure if it's good. Critics wander around. We try a bunch of things to make it better. Sometimes it exceeds our wildest dreams, and sometimes it disappoints us. Genesis 2 reminds us that creativity faces resistance, that it isn't always the smooth, perfect, beautiful unfolding of Genesis 1. It reminds us that we need to persist, seek advice, and revise. We can long for the bliss of Genesis 1. And with the right frame of mind, we sometimes find ourselves in that zone. But we can continue to create and must continue to create even when our work feels harder and less clear. Human creativity is both of these things. It is, absolutely is the joyous unfolding of mind and heart as we are inspired to make what is good. And it is also the trial and error in the face of resistance until we get it right. If we could put down our electronic whiz-bang fan tinklers for a bit, Fantinklers is a Dr. Seuss word, and it is one of my favorites. Um, put those down. If we let our faces, if we let our, our own faces hover over the water of the deep ocean, if we let our minds travel through wild and waste, we can recuperate our essential creativity. In the image of God, we too can make a world that is tov ma'od, very good. We're coming to the end of our time together. 
But before we part, I want to give you a gift. It's a gift of five creative minutes. Small gift, but it's one that you might not otherwise receive this week. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you in a few minutes to clear your mind. Go back to that centering music space. And then, once we've sort of just brought ourselves down inside our own heads a little bit, I'm going to give you a short prompt, something to think about. And then I'm really going to just stand here, maybe sit for five minutes while you think about it. Five minutes is a long time to think about something. It really is. I'll bet you haven't thought about the same thing for five minutes in a row um, since before the internet existed. <laughs> the prompt I'm going to give you, the things I'm going to ask you to think about, is an, a set of questions and reflections that I learned from a very good friend of mine, Lori Patton. She's the president of Middlebury College, and she gifted me with these five creative uh, minutes uh, the last time we were together. So first, got to get in the zone. Just take some deep breaths. If you need a little bit of help getting down into that space, you can start by thinking about five things you can see. And then lower your eyes. Four things you can hear. Three things you can feel. Two things you can taste. And one thing you can smell. Breathe in that presence. And now here, here is the thinking prompt. What is your own question? The question you ask again and again the one that you never tire of asking and that you know you will never answer. To give you a, a sense, my question is, how do words heal? A poet friend of mine says hers is, what is the relationship between poetry and society? Another friend says his question is, how can I embrace the present? So you have just about five minutes to find your question and then to think about how it came to be your question, where you can ask it, and what you'll do with your question today and this week.
who supports your question, who can't hear your question. What will you do with your question today and this week? What will you do with your question today and this week? You can prepare to lift yourself up from your question and to open your eyes. Let there be light and there is light. What a pleasure it has been to spend this time with you. May God bless you and keep you. May God make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God's face be lifted up to you and give you peace. Rest on. May it be God's will. Thank you.